Hey, this is Aaron Carnes. We started this podcast in 2021 to promote my book, In Defense of Ska. Since then, the podcast has grown into its own thing. I've been working on an expanded second edition. I interviewed new people, edited every chapter, and there's a new final chapter, 30,000 new words. The expanded second edition of In Defense of Ska will be released on October 29th, 2024. Can you do something for me? Pre-order it right now at clashbooks.com under the books tab. The more copies it sells in advance, the more it'll get people to support ska music. Thanks. Hey, everybody. It's Barry from the What Podcast. Hey, it's Russ. Hey, it's Brian. And we are giving away two tickets to Bonnaroo 2024. These are GA+, and they include camping. Russ, how do people get qualified? We want to hear your top artists to play on the Bonnaroo 2024 lineup. Call 423-667-7877 and tell us who we should check out. It's the What Podcast. Thanks. Welcome to In Defense of Ska. Today's guest is Matt Bettinelli-Alpin. From 1993 until 1998, he played guitar in the band Link 80. His replacement was our own Adam Davis, co-host of this podcast. These days, Matt has carved out a successful career directing films. After a few false starts, he began making shorts in 2007 with the collective Chad, Matt, and Rob. In 2012, they wrote and directed 103198 for the horror anthology film VHS. His current project is the movie Scream 5. It features much of the original cast from the 1996 film Scream. It's currently in post-production with a January 2022 release date. I was really excited to talk to Matt. When when I joined Link 80, and I feel like when you join any band and you're replacing a member, there's sort of a, a weird tension and a rivalry. Mm-hmm. Even, though, even though Matt and I have always gotten along, I never felt like I could talk to him the way that I wanted to and to like learn kind of the the back history of you know even just down to what he's playing during certain parts of a song I didn't feel like it was proper for me to ask so the the fact that I get to like sit down with him and and talk for a you know a good amount of time uh was uh, probably one of the the best the best talks I've gotten to have yeah and he's like such a nice guy too and I I didn't I'm sure I met him back in the day and I've talked to him in there, but he's got such a different vibe than most of the other link 80 guys, which I thought always thought was kind of interesting. Yeah. A lot of, a lot of link 80 was very much kind of abrasive. And yeah. Mean. And he was one of the nice guys. So that, that was always a weird part for me too. joining the band was that he was so friendly and knowing that once I was in the band, he wouldn't be in the band with me. And, and it's, it's so cool too. Now, um, talking to him because you know he's he's gone on to direct all these movies and and have success in a completely different realm and i was talking to him and i was saying you know i think it's really funny that if you if you look up your name you know it says all the stuff about all the movies you've done and then it says oh and a founding member of link 80 like those <laughs> like those two things have the same amount of weight yeah and he he didn't know that he he was like what really i was like man go google your name <laughs> like yeah he's doing the new scream movie also he was in the ska punk band in the 90s both are given the same yeah. yeah 
the backstory on Link 80 that we get into and the different perspectives of the band and uh, all of our different relationships with Nick. It's really interesting stuff. Well, and just hearing, especially compared to how we grew up down in Gilroy and, and our experience with Flat Planet, their experience with, with Link 80 it really sounded like these kids were allowed so much more freedom than we were oh, and yeah. allowed, allowed to get into so much more trouble. Whereas like, you know, you and I were on pretty short leashes as kids. Oh yeah. I mean, I couldn't even go to my first concert until I was 16. And that was like un- with like an older brother, friend of an older brother supervising, you know, and that was yeah. in San Jose. Like, yeah. I remember getting dropped off like for a 16 and over show at the cactus club with Blaine and my parents waited in the car. <laughs> Meanwhile, all the guys in link 80, like, you know, 13, 14 and 15 were just like walking all over the East Bay, getting into all sorts of mischief. Yeah. Okay. So how, how did you end up in link 80? How, what started link 80? Um, so what started Link 80 was me getting my first guitar when I was in high school and I was into metal and I was into Metallica and I wanted to be like metal dude, but, uh, you know, Nirvana and Chili Peppers were huge and it was like that kind of vibe, like the more mainstream stuff. And, uh, so I got a guitar from my parents for Christmas when I think I was a freshman and I didn't know how to play it worth, you know, Jack. But I was at my friend Dan Sullivan's house, who was like one of my best friends in high school. And he grew up with Joey Bustos, who would be later was the drummer for Link 80. And we were at a like a Christmas party that Dan's parents were throwing. And Danny, Joey and I were in his Dan's room and I started playing um, Under the Bridge, Chili Peppers. And Joey thought that I was like the best guitarist he'd ever heard which i was not i I, at all i fucking sucked i mean adam you've seen me play i never got that good and and this is the very beginning and uh and but joe was like hey yo dude you've got to be in my band and oh you know what i left out a very fun part of the story and i was like oh cool like great like that'd be awesome. Like, let's be in a band. And I don't even think we talked about what kind of band or anything. And then, and then, uh, like maybe, I don't even know how much later, but like weeks and weeks and weeks went by and I got a call on a Sunday afternoon from this dude with a gruff voice. He sounded like he was like 50 and he was like, Hey, are you Matt? Uh, I think you're in our band. I'm Joey's friend. And I had no idea what the fuck he was talking about or who he was. <laughs> and he's like, I'm Adam. It's Adam Pereira, who would later be in Link 80. And he's like, yeah, you're Joey said you're like a great guitarist. So we're having band practice in like an hour. Can you get out to Richmond? And, and I was in Oakland and I didn't have a car and drive or anything. So I had to ask my parents and I had a math tutor that afternoon that I had to pay for. I did it. I had to come up if I wasn't going to go to the math tutor, I had to come up with the 20 bucks to pay the math tutor to go to this fucking band practice with some dudes. I basically don't know. And, you know, my parents were cool about it and they drove me out there. My mom drove me out there. And um, I still remember getting lost on the way, but that's another story. And so I showed up out there and it was this garage, uh, Joey's garage in Richmond. And we practiced 
whatever that means when you have your first practice and you're like 14 or 15. And I think Joey was 13 and it, it was, you know, awful, but we thought it was great. And then I remember being really excited about it. I was like, Oh fuck yeah, I'm in a band. And then I didn't hear anything from them for weeks and weeks and weeks. And then Joe called me and he was like, Hey, we got our first show it's with the unhappy in Pinole. I don't even think I'd ever been to Pinole, but the unhappy were like at the time, it's funny because they've definitely disappeared from like history in terms of like, I don't know anybody who knows who the unhappy are, but at, at the time, the unhappy were like the biggest band in the kind of that little punk scene at that time, because they put these, they had these unwanted, I think they said unwanted, rejected. They had these rejected Atari stickers that they put, you couldn't go anywhere in Berkeley or Oakland without seeing a rejected sticker and they wrote unhappy on it. And so we were playing with them. I don't, I don't know how Joe knew them or, but Joe knows everybody. And so we played our first show there. And I mean, we didn't, I, I, I honestly don't think we played a single actual song. I think we might've had one. We had two singers. We had this dude, Jeff Akery, uh, and then this guy, Joey Riken, who I think he only played two shows with us. And uh, yeah, that was kind of the beginning. And that was like 93, like early 93, I want to say. Mm. And so then then you guys started having normal band practice and stuff like that and, and working on songs or? Yeah, so then we, we, you know, we wanted to get, quote, serious about it. But again, we were kids and I don't even think we knew what that meant. But we started having more regular band practices at Joe's house. It was out in, it was like on 38th and Garvin in Richmond. And we practiced in his garage, which was also his bedroom. And at first it was like, you know, we played a lot of Nirvana covers and we played an Op Ivy cover, I think. And we'd have like a song where we just kind of, it was like bass heavy and drums and we'd have like our friends come up and do some hip hop it was very like let's figure out what we're doing and Mm -hmm. my memory is that it was right around that time that the first rancid album came out and joey had a dub tape of that it was it was rancid self-titled debut on one side and minor threat on the other side and i remember he made me a copy and we all, it like changed the whole trajectory of what we were doing. And that's, and we got, we got kind of like really serious about it. As serious as you can get for a, for a, you know, right. a couple of teenagers. Yeah. You guys already knew who Operation Ivy was at that point though. Yeah, we must have. I'm trying to remember how that happened. Cause that was like, I would say that the two albums that affected me more than anything were Rancid's first album and, energy up ivy's first album or only album but because i don't remember i remember buying energy i went to rasputin's or whichever one used to be on the corner of telegraph and durant i can't uh, maybe it was amoeba no but anyways whatever that record store was at the time i can't believe i don't remember holy shit but because i spent like every single day there but that's where i found up ivy because somebody had told me that it was like the guys from Rancid before Rancid and hearing that for the first time and having never heard anything like it was that kind of changed the whole trajectory of Link 8. Mm-hmm. And so that, that was, I know you guys, you know, started out with the name Drano, 
what were the other names that you guys cycled through? We had Drano. We were Mr. Slave Unit, which was something Joey Riken came up with, which I don't know what the fuck that meant. <laughs> but we, we were that for like a day. And I mean, really, to, to bring this full circle in a, the weirdest way, and actually, this is a 25-year-old mystery that got solved this weekend to, about oh. Mr. Slave Unit. So we were, we were Mr. Slave Yeah. <laughs> so, we were, so we're obsessed with Rancid, right? We're Mr. Slave Unit which again, don't know what the name means. I remember Joey said it was something, not Joey Bustos, Joey Riken, who was the singer for like two shows. Really nice guy, great artist. And he was he said it was something about, you know, how we're all slaves to the man, that kind of thing. And But we're sticking together. And, you know, again, we're kids. So I was like, great, whatever. And we were over at, we used to hang out at this place called Punks with Presses uh, on like 26th and Union in Oakland, where they were where Lars from Rancid lived. And this is before Lars was, before any of the albums he was on came out. So we didn't really know about that. We just thought Rancid was three guys. And this is the Rancid podcast, right? That's what we're talking about. <laughs> uh, but they, so we're over there one day and we find out that they're shooting a video for uh, a song on their second album uh, that was about to come out for Salvation the next, that weekend. And we went and wrote, the band name on the door because we knew they were shooting a scene on the at the door and we were like oh shit let's get our band name in a rancid video That's amazing <laughs> yeah so the video came out you know 25 years ago we i never saw it because my memory was that we put a sticker on the door and i was i always look for a sticker anyways fast forward to literally this weekend and i was just kind of randomly you know watching some videos and that came up and I was like, Oh yeah, man, it'd be so cool if we actually got our sticker in that video. So I turned it on and I watched it and it, I think it's Joey's handwriting. He wrote the band name on the door and it's there clear as day. <laughs> and I had never known that or seen it until, I don't know, this weekend. I think I had heard that the, the Mr. Slave unit name ended up not getting used because another band ended up using it. It's the, no disrespect to Joey Riken, but it's the dumbest name. Why would another band use it? <laughs> no idea. I mean, there, there was a band called Slave Unit. So. Oh, you're right. Oh my God. I, I, you're totally right. I remember that. Yeah, but that's, yeah. that's way better than Mr. Slave Unit. Mr. Oh, <laughs> yeah. I like, I like Mr. Slave Unit. <laughs> yes. So, so Ran the Rancid album, the first Rancid album is is basically like where the the ska and the punk influence starts to come in. Then, I think that was the punk. You know, at first we yeah. were just a straight up punk band, and I think one of the things that we really wanted to do from day one was like not to, to find a sound that was not just like every other band. You know, it was like, well, how do we stand out and not just sound like? But I think not just sound like every other band, but I think at the beginning, you know, at least for me, you always just want to sound like shit you love, you know? Yeah. And then you kind of find your own sound through that. And I, I would say it was Op Ivy that kind of got brought the sky in. And then it was also one of my best friends, this girl, Jamie, who ended up marrying Adam, the bass player. She, her older sister was really into two-tone and she got us, she got me, she got Adam, she got Joey. I mean, they might debate this, but as far as I remember it, it was, she got us into like selector and specials and madness and all that kind of stuff. And that also really was a big influence. 
as I think it was for almost all the third wave bands. Yeah, yeah. I think like most of the bands that started in the 90s, like probably heard Skank and Pickle or Voodoo Gold Skulls or some band first, and then, you know, maybe Op Ivy and then and then went backwards and, and found Two-Tone out and was like, wow, this is amazing. Yeah, that was it. Exactly. You kind of go backwards. And then actually, after you find Two-Tone, at least for us, it was then you go back and you kind of find the original stuff, you know, like Chris yeah, yeah. and all that stuff. So then eventually you guys start playing shows and you record that nine song demo, right? Is that kind of where it goes next? And what's, what sort of reaction were you guys getting at that point playing shows with Jeff? Uh, that's a, I mean, people liked us, but it was the people that liked us were our friends. Cause you know, we were just right. playing like parties and backyards and basements and vet hall, vet halls and like that kind of thing where you're just sort of jumping on shows and it, I guess people liked us or they just liked us as people and hung out and kind of put up with the music. I don't really know. But didn't you guys play a backyard party at one point with with a neurosis? That was our first show with Nick. Okay. And, and it I don't think Neurosis actually played. I just They were just there. Think yeah, what's the Dave? I think I think the singer was there. But to us that was huge cuz you know, that's like a celebrity and Yeah, for sure. Okay, so but the next was the next member that joined. So you guys are a four piece with Jeff. The next member that joins Aaron? The next member that joined was Noah. This Noah. Yeah. Dude this... named Noah. Who and didn't he played sax? He played saxophone. And that was when we decided I remember so well being over at Adam's parents' house and with Jamie and Joey and deciding we should get a horn player. Like let's get a horn player. And I think we put an ad in, you know, BAM or something like mm -hmm. East Bay Weekly, whatever. One of those like East Bay Express. I don't know. One of those magazines. And yeah, this dude, Noah, he played a couple shows with us. And then right after that, Aaron joined. And, and how did you guys meet Aaron? I went to high school with him. Okay. So you guys were already and, homies then. Yeah, kind of. I was just going to say with Aaron, it was he, he had... He had like, you know, two-tone patches on his backpack. So I was like, hey, who are you? You want to be in a band? It was kind of the way Joey asked if I wanted to be in a band. It was a very similar thing. It was like, right? because again, that was a time when like it, none of this stuff was popular. So you really gravitated towards the one or two kids at your school that like had a minor threat sticker or a fucking whatever. Like it, 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 it wasn't a thing beyond like a dozen people maybe and so it was I, I remember aaron had just you know the little two-tone guy on his backpack and i was like oh he must be cool so the the decision to add horns like up ivy no horns most of the two-tone bands actually didn't have horns either and you guys were very much coming from the punk scene i'm what what kind of inspired that thought process be like we should have horns I think it was to kind of stand out and to be different and to just sort of do something that we hadn't heard. You know, we were like, Oh, well, we hadn't, we haven't heard this except on bad town on energy. They have mm -hmm. that saxophone. And we thought that was so cool. We were like, wow, there's like this 
punk band that does some ska stuff and then they've got a saxophone in a song like that's crazy and so i think you know it was it's that thing you you do when you're in that part of the process where it's like let's be different but then you find someone who already did the different thing and you're like let's do that so we kind of stole the bad town saxophone idea i see yeah just did it did our own thing with it and then Hmm. and then once aaron got in you had two horns and then did Noah not last very long or did he know it didn't last long? I remember playing a few shows at like we were playing Berkeley. We played maybe one or two shows at Berkeley square with Noah and Jeff. And, and I think Aaron might No, you know what? Aaron wasn't even there yet. Cause Aaron's first show, Aaron's first show was the, was the, was right after Nick's first show. Nick's first show was like on a Saturday and Aaron's was on a Sunday or something. So it must have just been Noah for a minute. At that time, um, so you guys were playing Berkeley Square, Gilman. What what were what were the venues that you guys were playing shows at at that time? It was you know it was we played our our our. So right when we started the band, Joey and I were at Tower Records on Durant, and we were sitting there where you could get you know by the magazines they always had the list. Do you guys remember the list? Yeah. Oh yeah, the list list it was everything right so the list was there and i remember joey and i sitting around looking at maximum rock and roll and the list just in the aisle and having a conversation man if we can just play gilman that will be the best thing in the world like it let's just make sure we can play gilman once and if we once we've achieved that everything else is like cool whatever who cares we played gilman we're done that's the best and because all of our all of our favorite bands were Gilman bands. You know, we weren't like into bands from other places. We were into Rancid and Green Day and Jawbreaker and all that kind of stuff. And so just to be a part of that felt like the goal. And, and, and honestly, after playing a bunch of Vets Halls and Backyard, we played Gilman a lot. We played Berkeley Square a lot. And we played, uh, what is, there's a teen center, something teen center. It's like, it's right below San Pablo, just east of Gilman. I cannot remember what it's called, but it was a teen center, and we played there all the fucking time. Um, so that, but yeah, that was pretty much the main places. You guys never really crossed over to San Francisco. We didn't start doing that until later, and that was then. That became like Cocodry and uh, whatever that one was across the street from Slim's. I can't remember what it was called. Uh, oh. Um... Not DNA Lounge, but yeah, they they changed the name a bunch of times. It was called Studio Z for a second in like the early two thousands. I can't think of what it was called though. I don't remember, but yeah, I mean, we played all, basically every place in the Bay Area that was like would let kind of a whatever bunk band play, you know, that was just kind of getting going. Mm-hmm. We started playing those, but before Nick got involved, it was very much just kind of East Bay friends putting on shows or bands we had played with asking us to play with them kind of thing. And then honestly putting on a lot of our own shows. In Defense of Ska will return in a moment. What's the easiest choice you can make? Window instead of middle seat? Picking a vendor who sends a great gift basket? Outsourcing business tasks you hate? What about selling with Shopify? 
Whether you're selling a little or a lot, Shopify helps you do your thing, however you cha-ching. Shopify is the global commerce platform that helps you sell at every stage of your business. From the launch your online shop stage to the first real-life store stage, all the way to the did we just hit a million orders stage, Shopify is there to help you grow. Whether you're selling scented soap or offering outdoor outfits, Shopify helps you sell. Wherever and whatever you're selling, Shopify's got you covered. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash try. Go to shopify.com slash try now to grow your business, no matter what stage you're in. Shopify.com slash try. Everybody in your crew identifies as either Big Mac Burger, McNuggets, or McCrispy Sandwich, but you're the filet fish Sandwich all day. That crispy fish, that savory tartar sauce, that melty cheese, that pillowy bun? Yeah, you get it. Every time. And if you love the filet of fish right now you can catch two of the classics you love for just $6. Limited time only. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Single item at regular price. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba. So then, how, how did Nick get in the band? So Nick... Nick... Nick met Adam one night at uh, Epicenter, which was a record store in like Mission in San Francisco. And they were at a show there. I think it was like an Econocrite show or something. And they ran into each other. I don't know why or how they started talking. And I got a call from Adam that night at like midnight. And again, I'm in high school. I have school the next morning. You know, like <laughs> Adam's like out at Econocrite shows in the city. Like, I don't know how all that worked in hindsight, but. He called me, you know, landlines or cell phones and woke me up and he's like, hey, 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 I met this, I met this guy tonight. He's going to be our new singer. He's so good. He sounds like, uh, it's like, it's like punk rock, but it's like Jawbreaker because he knew I love Jawbreaker. So he might've just been manipulating <laughs> me. Yeah. And because Nick doesn't sound anything like Blake, I don't no, know what, not, <laughs> not even a little bit, but, uh, and he's like, yeah, so I think he's going to be our new singer. You know, we got to we gotta have a practice with him and see what's up. And I was like, all right, and whatever. And and then like a week later, Nick came over to my house, to my parents' house. And the just the four of us, I think, me, Joe, Adam, and Nick set up in my bedroom, which is where we practice occasionally when we couldn't practice at Joey's. And we just started playing some songs. And the, the only song I remember playing is... Scott sucks because we played covers because Nick didn't know our songs yet, right. so we played you know pop propaganda. Scott sucks was a a big. I mean, you guys remember right? That was the song yeah. that we all loved and hated. Like, yeah, and, yeah, and and so we played that and it was like and Nick sounded fucking incredible. And I have a tape of that somewhere. I gotta find that and oh, you uh, gotta release that. Yeah, it was fun. I mean, we had a really good time, and you know, Nick was like. It, Nick Nick changed the whole band because he had such an energy and such like he was such a force, and mm-hmm. so we we practiced with him. All of us were like, uh, "Duh! Like this dude's fucking incredible. We'd be crazy not to play with him." Like, holy shit! But, but we still have a singer. We Jeff's still our singer, and I think we had a show at Gilman coming up. But regardless, we always half of us were at Gilman every Friday or Saturday every single week no matter what so i remember it's probably that weekend we were all there and nick came and we were like well you know we got to kick out jeff so 
and we were all too scared. And Nick was like, all right, I'll fucking do it. Where is he? I'll go talk to him. So Nick <laughs> went to talk to Jeff and he was like, I'm the singer now, which in hindsight, <laughs> what a dick move, right? Uh, <laughs> I'd always heard that it was a, that it was a phone call. I'd always heard that you guys had that first practice. You're like, duh, this dude's our singer now. And then you guys, and then like, some, and then I, and I always heard that like Adam was like, okay, you got to go kick out our new singer or our old singer. That, <laughs> like ma- I mean, made him call him. No question. Adam was the one that was like, Nick, you go do it. I think the rest of us were just like, Joe and Jeff were best friends. So I don't know how that got dealt with, but I just, I mean, my memory. Obviously they're still friends because Jeff was yeah. still coming around to shows for forever. Oh, I mean, Jeff used to go on tour with us. It's like, I right. mean, Jeff, Jeff. I mean, he was Jeff, for like Jeff stabbed the car once. Jeff, Jeff stabbed a car once. That <laughs> wait, wait a second. He stabbed a car. What do you? Yeah, tell him about <laughs> him stabbing the car real quick. Let's fast forward just to that. All right, fast forwarding to a. We had a weekend show. We were. This is when I was in college, so I was in Santa Cruz, and we would drive. We would go every weekend. We'd go, you know, play shows Friday, Saturday, Sunday. And then basically split up for the week. And then Friday, Saturday, Sunday, Friday, Saturday, Sunday. And we were going down to Santa Barbara on a Friday. And we had the van. Uh, Our friend Becca had a little Corolla. And Jeff had his truck. He had like a, you know, like a F-150 or something. And we were driving down on the, I think the five. The one or whatever. It was the it was through San Jose, like guys, whatever. You guys were near Gilroy when it happened. We were near Gilroy, yes, exactly. So yeah, it would have been the 101. So we're going down the 101 to Santa Barbara. I think we're gonna go play the living room. And these like, I mean, this is this is this is like cliche out of a movie. You can't make this shit up. It was like the jock ski bros were in their brand new Ford Explorer, you know, which again. Like that was a super nice car in the nineties. It was like, holy shit, kind of that kind of thing, you know? And Jeff and Joe, and I can't remember who else, maybe like Richard or Jared. We had like a really tight group of friends. Like Adam, you obviously know this. We just, everybody, they did every, like we were like a crew wherever we went. And, and this was no different. And there was some fight broke out between cars and we're in like traffic, like stop traffic. And they start yelling at each other. I'm in the van behind. So I'm watching this all like, what the fuck is going on? And then <laughs> the the ski guys start like yelling and they get really aggressive. And like, I can't remember if they got out or they started, but they started threatening Jeff or Joe, whoever was in the truck. And so Jeff, who's the coolest fucking dude and not a big guy at all. But no, like, it's like very average. Yeah, but he's like, and but you know, it's like all of all of these guys and all of us at the time. It's like you do not fuck with our friends, you oh, know. No, and no, no. and so it was like this. I mean, I, I'm sure you guys know this from going on tour. It's like you don't fuck with if anybody fucks with anybody in the group, that's trouble. And so these guys started fucking with us, and I just remember Jeff got out and kind of called their bluff, and he's like, "Oh, really? Like you want to you want to go for it? Like." I'm right here, motherfucker. And of course the guys all roll up their windows. And I remember them flipping Jeff off through the window, like, come on, you know? And, <laughs> and Jeff's like, all right, well, fuck you then. And then the traffic picks up. There's Jeff's still on the 
freeway. And he pulls out his, you know, like buck knife and just stabs their car in the back as it's driving away. <laughs> and, and I mean, we were like, oh, shit. Like, wow, that escalated. And, but, that's a good move too, because it's so confusing that it probably just, they didn't even know how to react, like stabbing a car. In like, the back. Like, I, yeah, I never knew it was in the back of the car. I always imagined that they, <laughs> they rolled the up because I knew they rolled up the windows and were flipping them off. And then I remember just hearing Jeff just pulls out a knife and fucking pops the side door of the car. Like, that could pow! be true. My memory and is the back. And the I, you know, that could be faulty. They they got scared. Traffic picked up. But that's just me. Then, that's just my imagining of it being retold to me. But that was roughly. I mean, that I'm, was the order of events. It was like tough guys. Right. Jeff they rolled up the windows. Like, he, he stabbed the car somewhere. He stabbed the car yeah. somewhere. And again, like I said, it was a it was a nice car that I'm sure their parents bought them. And like you know, it was very like, oh no. And then, you know, traffic picks up. Things start happening. Things start moving. And then all of a sudden it was like this cop car goes by us on the left side and a cop car goes by us on the right side. And so now it's, I'm in the van. <laughs> so, and like me and Aaron are in the van and maybe Seth was in the van. I don't remember. I think Seth was in the van at the time. And yeah, I think we've was. lost the Corolla and we've lost Jeff's truck. And then there's like cop cars going inside. We're like, wow, what fuck, man? Maybe that's to stop traffic. You know, there must be like an accident. I don't know. Something's fucked up. And then we get to the next turnout and both of our friends' cars are on the kind of, you know, the area between the turnouts on the side of the road. All of our friends are face down, hands over their head, legs spread, cops all over them. So we pull over and we're like, oh shit, well, we're not making the show tonight. What the fuck? Like, this is not a good scene. I remember I got out started taking a piss behind the van because again we've been in traffic for like hours and hours and i remember then a helicopter shows up and over the loudspeaker of the helicopter the <laughs> megaphone i hear sir please stop urinating and return to your vehicle immediately and i was like oh my god <laughs> so i get back in the van and then i i don't know exactly what happened but i know i know jeff ended up getting in trouble for it i know the rest of us, I don't, I don't remember like if he got arrested. I don't know, Adam, if you, I, my memory is just that it was I don't chaos. think he got arrested. So we, my, I'm sure all he I got remember fined. Is, I'm sure he got a ticket. Yeah, that sounds right. We just got back in our cars and we made the show. I mean, <laughs> we, it was like, but that, that was weird, like par for the course hanging out. I was going to say dudes, that. I feel like it, it was, that was, it, it was, crazy but it was i mean it's what happened then you know it was like that it wasn't it wasn't out of the norm but it was you know i mean right. i this sounds fucking stupid but it was like it was crazy but it felt like holy shit we're all in something together you know which is dumb but you know, again we're kids right we're all kids and like total gang mentality yeah for real, like being in Link 80 like felt like being in a gang. Straight up. Yeah. And that I was mean, always the weird thing to me too, because like that was why I was asking like how you ended up in the band, because like I mean the like Joey and Adam, where they kind of come from, and then like how you are, like never really you know, I feel like you and I are much more similar than 
you know, Joey and, and Joey and Adam. No, and it's weird. It's like I, I, I've always had this weird thing where like I, I, like I didn't, I hated high school, and I didn't like, I, I fucking hated it, and I, you know, like I'm sure most people, a lot of people, and you, know, you just kind of feel like an outcast, and so then I found punk rock, and I found like you know Joe and Adam, and a lot of my friends through that community. But then I also didn't want to fit in with that community because I felt like I don't want to conform to this either. Again, this is all the mentality of a 15, 16 year old, but I'm like, I don't, I don't want to be, I don't want to, I don't want to just be a conform to the thing I'm a part of, which is, I think what I loved so much about what we had with Link 80 is where it didn't really matter. Cause there was like, like Nick was like punk rocker, punk rocker, punk rocker. But of course he's also from the richest family in San Francisco. So there's like this weird fucking juxtaposition there. Then you have Joe's like, punk rock also kind of gangster kid you know you're like what is this and then you have adam who's full of Kano christ like gutter punk all the way as hard you know i mean adam would like when we were on tour like he would he would enjoy going to find like a park to sleep at you know like and then you have me who's <laughs> yeah. like i just like want to hang out with you guys because you're cool and it's fun you know it was a yeah. It was a weird mix, as, as Adam, you obviously know, which I think is what yeah, was so I mean, fun about it. Yeah, I mean, I remember the first time, so Aaron and I were in Flat Planet together, and the first time I remember seeing Link 80 was at Kokadri. We opened, we played before you guys. And we, the, the, do you remember the band that played before us? They were called Sick and Wrong. No, I mean, I remember the name. Maybe. Really gross looking lady singers, and they had all these horrible songs. I just remember they had a song called Uncle Buck that was super gross. And then they, they had, had song every called, single, yeah, every single they song. They had a song called Hung Like a Horse. Yeah. You were hung like a horse. <laughs> every so, song was like exactly the same, except a different chorus, like a different, yeah, like, there words. were just these really bad <laughs> kind of rock songs. And then we played and did our ska punk thing and it felt fine. And we got a good reaction. There was like a circle pit and stuff. And then, and then we got off stage and you guys got on. And I just remember like just being floored by the reaction and just how you guys sounded. It was like such a weird take on ska punk because it was like way more of like influenced by hardcore and punk than by ska. Yes. And, and it was, and also like, I mean, it had ramped up the, the crowd reaction at that point had ramped up to like, where it wasn't just your guys' friends and you right. guys had fans. And, and then there was just Nick at the front of all of that, like being like the most charismatic, good sounding front person possible. A hundred percent. I mean, Nick was, Nick was the, Nick was the like, it's weird. I credit Joey a lot with keeping that, that energy you're talking about. Like it's, it's the weird amalgamation of Joe was always like, he loved, you know, no effects. He loved all like that. What's like the fast, but still with like a pop sensibility where it's not, yeah. it's not just hardcore, but it's also not just like, it's not pop punk. Like none of us like pop punk. We all liked no effects was as pop punk as we got. And right. But it's like that kind of thing. And then you have me who's not very good at anything except punk because like I had horrible rhythm. That's why our ska always sounds fucking not like other punk, punk ska punk fans because I couldn't do it. You know what I mean? I just, I didn't have the capability. So we had to create our own version of it. 
which I know when Adam, when you started playing for like 80, probably was weird because you're like, wait, why is why does this all sound bizarre? Oh, like timing because so I was, like, I had already my only learning ska was to join Flat Planet. And so I I knew how to play ska that way. Right. And then trying to do it the way you do it, where you you play the bar chord, you play like the bottom half of the bar chord. Right. And and just and just play that for the ska parts. And then it's just like a real a real slow like up on the two and the four, right? I was just doing uh, yeah, I that's exactly it. I was never doing the whole like, you know, chicka chicka chicka. I, Which yeah, honestly, I, the way the way you do it, like, ends up being so much cooler. And I feel like there's a lot more <laughs> bands that that ape that style now, where it's it's less flicka flicka fast ska, and more of like a laid back approach to it. the The thing about Link eighty that like struck me, like I remember the first time I saw Link eighty was like like in Berkeley Square, and it was like you either were opening for skank and pickle or it was like skank and pickle members were there. And, and maybe that's when Mike was first kind of scoping you out or something. But, um, the, you had like the stuff Nick was really into, I think was like hardball or fat, I don't remember. Like, Madball. Kind of weird. Madball, Madball. That was it. Yeah, yeah. Like I wasn't familiar with that music at all. And like you had that element to your music and it, it like was different to me than what the other punk ska bands were doing. And I remember kind of talking to Nick about it and he was kind of like saying, Oh, you got to, check all these bands out. And I, I just started like buying those band CDs and got into that for a little while. But yeah, that was like, that was an element that I could not attribute to any other ska band at that point. That's so, it's, it's so interesting. I never, I never really thought about it that way, but I guess you're right. Because it was like, we got, you know, I was like obsessed with everything local. Like for me, it was like AFI, Screw 32, like that kind of shit, which I love. Mm-hmm. And then I remember Nick, got so into Madball, Sick of It All, you know, Agnostic Front to go back a little further, like all of the New York hardcore, hardcore, hardcore bands. And then that started kind of bleeding in through Nick. And and, and it really did kind of change the sound in a way that I, I really liked. But uh, I think the show yeah. that you're talking about is the show that Mike came up to us after. And again, this is just a testament to the way that Nick was so much different than the rest of us who were like, let's play Gilman once and we're good kind of thing uh, is Mike came up to us after that show and said, you know, Hey, I'm starting my own label. I had, you know, he had done Dill, but then he was like, I'm going to start my own label. And I want, you know, do you guys want to put out a seven inch? And at that time it still might've been Dill. It might not have been Asian man yet. I don't quite remember, but he, I just remember Nick saying like, yeah, we don't want to put out a seven inch. Why don't you put out our record? And Mike was kind of like, hey, well, maybe, maybe, blah, blah, you know, and Nick was like, well, we don't, we put out a lot of seven inches and we don't, we need to, we want to put out an album. And, you know, Nick and Mike talked about it and Mike was like, cool, let's do it. Like, I remember, I remember that show too. Like, cause yeah, I, I was friends with Pickle and Mike, Mike in particular at that point. And I remember it was like, there was like talk about Link 80, this band Link 80, you know, this, this, this band, they were so young and they were so good. Like that was kind of like, you know, I just remember being around Mike and some of those guys and we're just kind of like, oh, I got to check these band out, you know, it was like, that's so weird like, to hear. This, right? These guys could be big, maybe. <laughs> <laughs> I, 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 the main thing I remember hearing about you guys was that just about how confrontational you guys were. Like, yeah, that I just out. felt like you guys had beef with like every single East Bay band. <laughs> we did. We, we, and again, it's like, I often 
personally didn't. I was kind of like, why are we getting in all these fights with these people? But again, like I then and now loved loved all all of the guys in the band like brothers. I mean, I still talk to like, you know. Yeah, it made no sense to me. It felt like I couldn't tell where it was coming from. Like at first I thought it was Nick. And then, it, you know, was, I, I'm pretty sure it was Adam. Well, it got to say, I think it was a little bit of everybody. I think we all kind you of think played it was a little a bit of everybody. On, yeah, I think we all sort of played what a role in it. What do you think that came like, from? Did it, did it come from you guys just being young or? Yeah, it came from us. It came from us being young. It came from there was, you know, and I hate saying this because so much of like, you know, I mean, I'm I'm in my 40s now. And I still think that so much of like who I am now formed because of like people I hung out with at Gilman and like the band and the friends I had then and like what we went through and but there was a real snobbery at Gilman and like there was a like I I love Gilman I I I think it's one of the greatest places in the fucking world but there was a real fucking snobbery and there was like a you know the new kids and like fuck them and like we weren't punk enough or we're not this enough and it was all that kind of dumb shit it was the same shit I hated at high school for other reasons. Like, oh, you're not like hot enough. You're not, you know, good enough at whatever fucking sport. All that that dumb shit that we can all say we hate about high school because it's easy. I was like, it's the same thing here. Like, you know, the older punks were looking down on the younger punks and there were the cool bands and the not cool bands. And it was just all kind of bullshit on some level, you know. And I remember, I think I was too like, I didn't care that much because I had made a lot of really good friends and I was like, whatever, fuck them. Like, but you know, people like Nick and Adam and it would, they would get more confrontational about it. And, and it, it, it did become a thing. It's like, I mean, we even, I'm burning down is about Gilman. Like that's the, the last song on 17 reasons is about like this place that we love. Down, Gilman. Yeah. And it was just, well, it's like, it's the scene is, is not what, what we, kind of had been told it was you know it's it's the whole like oh we're so perfect and we're so this and everything is above board and a lot of that shit especially when it comes to things like like acceptance is fantastic and i think it instilled that in all of us like to be better people but then you know you you look at some of the people i won't name names but some of the people who were big in the scene at that time were fucking assholes and they were really mean to some people you know and and it caused a lot of problems and honestly i you know I don't think that Nick being from a wealthy family helped that. And it's, we didn't even know Nick's background until maybe cause he was embarrassed, you know, which is, which is weird to talk about as an adult to be like, this poor kid was embarrassed when he was 15, 16 about right, his but family. It makes sense though, if you want to be, if you want to be like a front person in like a, punk rock band a punk band yeah, yeah. which is like, the last thing you want to do is be labeled as some little rich kid, rich kid. Yeah, yeah, see, exactly. I, that, that was one of gonna be one of my questions for you is like when you guys found out about his um mother being daniel Steele and kind of what you thought of that because i remember uh, when i first heard about that i didn't like have a judgment about it but it definitely kind of was like that's weird that's doesn't seem punk to me but then you know as soon as i met nick and i talked to him like he won me over instantly like i immediately liked him right that's, yeah. and I mean, I feel like I, you know, I feel like anyone who met Nick and this isn't because Nick's dead. This is because he was that guy. Like, he, you know, Adam, you and I talked about this before, but like he was truly a one in a more than a one in a million person, you know, like where 
he had that thing mm-hmm. that like you know we we all gravitated towards right and and it's yeah, funny absolutely. like in a lot of ways he was more punk than fucking any of us because he he was able to go truly say like it doesn't fucking matter where i'm from and it doesn't matter none of this matters because i want to find a community that can support everybody you know and it's it got back to that thing where like he was being ostracized because of who he was like he didn't have to say who his parents were you know and it's like it's it's this weird thing where like i i wrestle with it a little bit to this day because you know i have a lot of disdain for wealth it's kind of gross and it fucks everything up and like but he's a kid you know and and it really weighed on him and i think we didn't we found out i don't know about the other guys but i remember finding out I'd probably known him for like six months at the time. And he always, you know, he had, he always had someone like dropping him off and picking him up who would like wait around. I didn't really know who they were. It was kind of weird. And, but again, I never Mm -hmm. asked. I never, I don't know. I just was like, oh, whatever. And, but I remember they had like a phone in the car, which was such a big deal. You know, (laughs) like, it's like, holy shit, there's a phone in the Volvo. That's crazy. And, and, I mean, personally, when I found out uh, who who his mom was and where, you know, that he was like a rich kid, I was like, all right, whatever. Like, you're cool. I don't I like you. I don't care. You know what I mean? Like. And it it, it, it weirdly, I don't know. I mean, I it's funny because it is like it gets back to the kind of thing we've been talking about a little bit, though. I, I just feel like you can't it real punk is not about being a specific type of person you know and that's like the thing that gilman preaches rightfully like it's we're all accepted here no matter what if you're unless right, you're there's a definitely dick. a ton of people who held it against him that he was like from a wealthy family i will say this though that nick nick was always i think one of the things he always did is he was he was incredibly generous with with his and i again i don't know what nick's situation was you know in terms of money like i don't know what he i mean i know that he came from a wealthy family but i don't know you know i don't know i don't know what was going on behind the scenes and uh it's it's one of those things where like all i can say about nick and that is that he he always made an effort to be like i understand that i'm privileged and i'm gonna do everything i can to like you know help the people around me who like not no one was wealthy and he was like well i'm gonna i'll take you all to the sick of it all show i'll 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 take us out to dinner you know i remember nick would take us out to dinner who the fuck takes friends to dinner when they're teenagers nobody like (laughs) nobody i mean i would be like oh here you owe me 350 for that burrito dude like not you know and nick would be like i'm gonna take us to dinner and i'll here i bought i bought us all a copy of the new whatever album came out like he would do those things that were just friendly and i think he also just wanted to like you know not feel like different i think that was one of the things nick nick always just wanted to be a part of something and it was i don't want to be like poor little rich boy but it was like it was hard to be in that scene and to be who he was yeah and i i I think it was always a battle and i think to go back to the original question i think that's what that that definitely fueled a percentage of the things that made us a confrontational group of uh, dudes. <laughs> yeah. I mean, it's interesting because on one hand, like link 80 will always have that sort of thing where people will go like, Oh, that's Daniel Steele's son. I mean, that's like a factoid that you can't avoid, but 
you were whether or not his mom was Daniel Steele, you guys were original. You guys were like one of the most unique bands of that era. So that's like a secondary factor just because of, by virtue of how kind of weird that first fact is. Right. And I mean, it's, uh, yeah, it's bizarre. I, I agree. Also, thank you for saying that. I, I didn't know we were that original, but I appreciate it. And uh, for sure. No, for sure. You guys were definitely, I mean, I, I mean, there was a a lot of bands at that time, and that's one of the points I try to make, like in my book and stuff, is that a lot of a lot of bands at that time were actually very unique and doing their own thing, which is why it's strange how like ska gets, uh, you know, like defined by like a couple of bands on MTV, like in hindsight. But you were definitely one of those bands where it's like I can't think of like who's the other bands at the time, like Link Eighty, you know, like Emmy Three Thirty were doing their own thing, you guys were doing your own thing, you know, Blue Meanies were doing their own thing, so. I just, you know, I, I just don't hear you guys come up much in that conversation. We'll be right back after this. Hey, everybody. It's Barry from the What Podcast. Hey, it's Russ. Hey, it's Brian. And we are giving away two tickets to Bonnaroo 2024. These are GA plus and they include camping. Russ, how do people get qualified? We want to hear your top artists to play on the Bonnaroo 2024 lineup. Call 423-667-7877 and tell us who we should check out. It's the What Podcast. Thanks. I mean, the weird thing to me is um, at the time when Link 80 was active, the band was so much the redheaded stepchild of of like punk rock. Like there was oh, yeah. no shows that the band fit on. We Like it was you know, in the Nick era of the band, you guys played with so many hardcore bands and I'm sure that, that oh my was God. not, not a good look for the band. And then we, later on, we would play, we would play, you know, back-to-back shows where one night we'd play with a traditional ska band and the next night we'd play with fucking come and correct from New York. Yeah. And, and it was just like, this doesn't make any sense. Like we don't have anywhere to live, but then the weird thing now is 20 years later, there's all these bands that sound exactly like we sounded. And it's, so it, there's a whole scene that's built up around it where it's hardcore mixed with ska and punk and nobody bats an eye. It's so great. Cause you're right. It's it, at that time it was, we would either play ska, ska shows essentially, you know, maybe the suicide, suicide machines or something or rudiments would be there, you know, but like rudiments were pretty, they were like punk dudes playing, like I love the rudiments and, right. but like it'd be that kind of thing at, at, at the closest or just straight up ska stuff, skank and pickle, whatever, like that kind of stuff. And then the next night would be like us with like Murphy's law or, you know, and you're like, or H2O or something. You're yeah. like, how are these two things? But that you're right. There was no, there was no, we didn't fit anywhere. Yeah. Until we started touring with the bands, like you just mentioned MU and, blue meanies like when we tour with them it'd be dope because you'd be like these are all kind of uh you know kind of outcasties bands you know a little bit like in their own world so then you put them together and it's like oh here's it's like a like a variety night in a way yeah i mean a lot of the bands i think like one of the things that you guys were about is like you know a lot of the bands were playing punk ska quote unquote but it wasn't like truly truly in the nitty-gritty of punk rock you know, and, and you guys were, and I don't know, I know Nick was, I'm not sure to the extent of everyone else, but it was like getting into these really specific subgenres of punk and these really specific bands that had these like, really, 
things that they did. It wasn't just like, oh, you know, we listened to Green Day and we listened to these like sort of well-known punk bands. Oh, no, we were like, we were, we were like, I mean, we were Gilman kids. So we liked bands like Gilman, you know, so our heroes were Rancid, Jawbreaker, Green Day. But like Green Day, like we had, we, we like everybody else in the Bay Area, when Gookie came out, it was like, ooh, is this going to be, is this a, oh, this, is this going to suck? And then, of course, Dookie came out and we all fucking loved it because it was a great album, you know? Yeah. And, and, but it was like, we were, we were very much local music nerds and into, it, we, we did not like popular stuff. Like, you know, it was, because again, that was that era where you, you didn't like popular shit. Like if something got popular, it was kind of like, whatever, it's not special anymore, you know? And it's funny, I used to think, I went through a phase where I was like, that's bullshit. You know, whatever. If it's good, it's good. And I still believe that in a lot of ways, because obviously I love a lot of pop stuff. But I do think that when you're in a small scene, that there is something very special about it when it's yours. And it feels like, you know, all the guys in the band and all the bands know each other and they're all doing their own thing and you can support each other. And it's like a community. And then when when one of those things starts sounding different and becomes something different, it does feel less special, you know? It really does, especially when you're that age and there's so much of your identity wrapped up in it. And then it's taken... I'm not talking about Green Day because Green Day fucking rocks. <laughs> but it was like... Green Day, Green Day handled stuff. fame well, I'd say, just to, you know, oh, just to insert yeah. that. One of the few bands, I think, that handled fame and, and all that stuff well. But to get back to what we're talking yeah. about is it, is... it is what you're saying. It's like, we all had our little niches. I was the guy that was into emo. This is before what now people think of as emo this is when emo was like indian summer and jawbreaker and you know that kind of stuff uh and like i was into that i was into rancid i was into like all, all you know like kind of punk rock punk rock nick was really into hardcore joe was into like joe was into fucking everything and then the other thing that we had is we all loved hip-hop like we were huge huge hip-hop heads and so like tour and you know again adam you know this it's like the radio would be so eclectic. We'd be all over the place. Yeah. Yeah. That, that band listened to the weirdest, most eclectic mix of music. Like just, it just jumped from one end of the spectrum to the other, the entire time. That's it makes going back though. Indian summer as an influence for you makes so much sense with your guitar playing. <laughs> just messy and sloppy just like but like but like really emotive and like a lot of the like kind of like weirder like high like hanging on high note type stuff yes exactly i love oh that that's so indian summer i loved like, it i just loved like that i i love like it was like it was kind of challenging you a little bit as a listener to be like how 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 obnoxious is this gonna get in a weird way but also be kind of emotional and yeah hopefully make you feel something but then you're putting that on top of like like Adam's, you know, rolling bass line and Joey's punk rock drums. And it just creates something that's not any of those things. Yeah. What, so there's songs that are on that nine song demo tape that are also on 17 reasons. And they, you know, you can really see the progression in there. The biggest part I feel like is Joey's drumming becomes way more, I guess, lyrical is maybe the term for it like where he's he's really playing specific parts for like every part of the song totally and I, 
is there is there i mean was that like a conscious thing that like or did that just develop over time or did you guys actually work on that stuff during practices that's a good question i mean i know that i know what we did is like like we would like none of us knew we all just sort of learned our instruments. I think Adam took lessons. Adam was fucking great. I mean, you know, he's a yeah. incredible bass player. And I like I, I never took guitar lessons. I mean I took like maybe two at some point. But and Joe I don't think took drum lessons. Joe was supposed to be the singer. I mean and then he he had drums so he started playing the drums kind of thing. And and it, it you know, he did we had we had a little like kind of I don't even know how to say this, but this, you listen to a song now, you listen to a lot of songs and it's like, you get the drums going and they get the bass in there. And then there's the guitar and there's the melody and you kind of create the song. And then that becomes the song. We were more of like, well, we'll do this for the verse and then hard shift to the chorus, which will be so different than the verse. And then back into the verse. And then we'll have a bridge. That's nothing like any of those things. And so it was this really weird, like evolution of, what we were of the way we wrote songs. And I think Joe really fueled that and was really behind it. And his drumming really demonstrated that. And, it, and, and, and I mean, Joe worked harder than fucking anybody at getting better at drums, you know, cause he just fucking yeah. loved it. I mean, I think that was the most impressive thing to me. The first couple times I saw you guys play, I remember, Flat Planet and Link 80 played together in Gilroy at the Gaslighter. I remember all of you guys. <laughs> I, I remember in, that. I remember And that. I remember like, I'm pretty sure Nick was dressed up. You guys brought a bunch of your girlfriends with you. And I remember they were all dressed up super nice. Like none of them were like in like hoodies and tennis shoes. They were all like wearing like dresses was that and the, shit. That was, there was a short period where everybody did a little bit of a rockabilly thing. and had like the creepers. And yeah, the, so definitely some people were wearing creepers. And then I just remember Joey was playing drums and he was like pounding a 40 and he had to have been like 16. Yeah. We, <laughs> we was... drank, we drank a lot. I mean, we, yeah. we drank a lot of forties and by we, I mean me, Joe, Adam, you know, it, we had like that weird thing where it was like half the band were like, we were drinking and whatever. And then half the band was straight edge. So it was like, you know, you look at an old pictures like half the man has X's on the hands and the other half are holding forty. Right. Like and, and that and that continued. Yeah. <laughs> I know that continued. Yeah. yeah. Just fights in the van about like, you know, fucking talking about merchant making merchandise and like the straight edge <laughs> contingent being like, Oh, let's let's put X's and make it look like a hardcore band shirt and, and then the other half being like, Well, what if I want to have a shirt with a giant pot leaf on it? Oh God! Just the stupidest <laughs> fucking conversation. The dumbest, the dumbest. I mean, I get it though. We had the same, we had the same fights when I was in the band. So, with the whole straight edge thing, um, like, cause so on the on the seven inch version of Dime Store, there's no breakdown. It plays. You guys play the dem the sample of Stand by Me, right? The Keeper Sutherland, Will Wheaton yeah, thing. thing. Yeah, and uh, oh yeah, that is Will Wheaton, isn't it? yeah shit so um oh hard hard side turn here so <laughs> you 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 direct movies now which fact congratulations this is awesome and <laughs> for years later in the band so you and aaron would play a game where you would 
you would like name a movie and then name somebody that was in that movie and then like name another movie that that person was in. Yeah. Right? yeah. My wife Maybe and I were playing that game literally this weekend. Yeah. Oh, sure. So Aaron would try to get me to play this game with him since I fucking took over your spot. <laughs> I'm fucking terrible at it because I don't know any names of any actors. <laughs> we would play that game for like entire states. It'd be like, all right, let's play this all the way through Kansas. <laughs> Oh yeah, and he wanted to do that with me, and I'm like, I don't fucking know this shit, dude. I can do it now. I have IMDb on my phone, but fuck, dude. I I know what a person looks like. I know what their character's name is. I don't know their fucking real name. I want I want to ask you a question, and like, you know, I just I want to give you permission to be totally honest. So, you guys played a couple shows of Flat Planet. What did you guys think of us? Because I feel like we were such a weird <laughs> weird band, like nothing at all like you guys, and didn't fit at all like what, what did you what did you guys actually think of us i mean i always remember liking you guys but that's that's <laughs> i wish i had a better answer but i always remember thinking like i my impression of of link 80 i, I don't even think you guys watched our set yeah at the gaslighter i watched you guys okay Not i don't remember set. the cocadry yeah show. that actually wasn't a good set See, I was but, friends with Nick, though. That was the thing. I don't know that I knew the rest of the band very well, but I, I just became friends with Nick for some reason. I think I just kind of, Mike, I probably got to know him because because of Mike, but then I just kind of immediately liked him. And I just like, like he was so earnest and like yeah, so likable, you know, and just like so willing, you know, to like go along with whatever kind of crazy idea or crazy joke that you had that I was like, I like this guy, you know, and, and he was totally down and him and I would talk about booking these shows together, which is such a strange pairing. It's so funny. Like I, I, until you just said that, I forgot that how he, you could, he was the most giving friend in terms of like, if you told a dumb joke, like he'd maybe make fun of it, but then double down to make an even dumber joke. And then it was like that kind of, he would do anything for people he liked, anything, and always I, wanted to make you feel good. I, I, have, a, I have a weird, I wanna, I'll tell you my weird Nick story. So uh, Nick, I think he had like a, a video camera with him. And I think I was at a show. Always, always had a yeah. Video okay. So I was at a show. It was, I think, I want to say it was Stockton or something. And um, Mike was there and... Um, we like swiped his camera and I was like, Mike, let's, um, let's go. And I like, I got in like a trunk of the car and like Mike was filming me and I like pulled open the trunk. I'm like, hi, Nick. And like close it or just something dumb like that. <laughs> and then we didn't tell him about it, you know? Right. And then like, so Mike was with him when they were like just watching the footage from the show and just like was surprised by this thing. And my, <laughs> and Nick was like watching it. He was like, Whoa. And he's like, what, what do you think of this, Mike? And Mike's like, oh, I think it's amazing. He's like, oh, yeah, me too. It's <laughs> <laughs> oh, so, it's, oh, it's so perfect. It, it's so Nick. It's so Nick. Like, uh, I have a dream of someday, and I've actually, I, I, this is something I genuinely want to do, but I want to do like a podcast that, that just interviews people about Nick. And this is something that would have interest to like 20 people, but I think those 20 people would love it where, because every single one of us who knew Nick 
knew kind of a different person and mm-hmm. and had such a unique relationship with him and such a unique bond and a, and and a very genuine bond and it's one of the things i love about like meeting people who knew him and 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 talking about him and telling stories about him is Everybody has like a slightly different perspective and a slightly different like version of who he was, but it's all under this umbrella that makes so much sense and fits together so perfectly. And, and and he had so many sides and so many, like he was, I don't know. He just had so many things going on. And then you think back and you go, right. And we all knew him for like the last three or four years of his life. You know, it was not a Mm -hmm. long time. And when even hearing like that story right now, I go like, when did all this happen? Like, when did everyone have time for all this stuff? And then you like so much of this is in such a small period of time. And it's that amazing part of being a teenager where you can do all this stuff. You know, it's like, I don't know. It's, it's, it's just, it's, it's such an, it's such an interesting story. I think like, I think his, his life was so fascinating and mm-hmm. I think the people who knew him all had such different perspectives on it. Like Adam, you have you have such a different perspective than me, even though we both hung out with him all the time. You know what I mean? Right. I mean, like, it was weird. Like the first time I ever came to practice with the band, Nick was like, "Yeah, come over at like 10 a.m." And I was like, "We're gonna pra- okay." So Seth and I show up at like 10 a.m. Nick's like barely even awake, and he like makes us coffee. And at the house that he was living at, all the all the handles were busted off all the mugs. I sure. Like <laughs> Julie's, Julie's kids live there. And and they dropped all the mugs and all the handles were busted off. And so we're standing in this kitchen drinking drinking coffee. And I'm like, when are we practicing? And he was like, oh, like three or four in the afternoon. He just wanted just to wanted hang out. Hang. Yeah. And he we just like hung hard all day. And... Uh, <laughs> It was really, really weird. It was really cool. He like had all the raw footage for the verbal Kent video. He's like, check this out. And we just like put it on and just watched it. And then, and then I remember he's like, tried to like, I guess, I don't know. He was just trying to push our buttons and then he was a weird, weird dude. And he like put on some Ron Jeremy porn. Sounds right. And was like, what do you think of this? I was like, I don't, I don't fucking know. He's like, hey, just watch this part. And there's some gross shit. And I was just like, whatever. He, he had a <laughs> picture in his bathroom at that same, that, that like oh, you're talking about the, that. where he lived over the garage at Julie's. Yeah. Where in his whatever that was. Yeah, like, he had like a he had like a like a male like a male uh uh centerfold and the dude yeah. looked like you. Yes. And he, <laughs> and he just yeah and he had it right over the toilet and it was like and he wrote Matt on it. And it was this naked dude that kind of looked he like wrote, me. There was a little speech bubble and it said, Hi, I'm Matt. That's exactly <laughs> it. Holy shit, yeah. Yeah, that's yeah. Uh, I, I also remember he had a, one of his video cameras was on top of the fridge, and he had like accidentally stepped on. It was like the little like flip out flat screen on the side, and he had accidentally stepped on it, and so he had just had it up there, and he was going to get a new one. And then I remember he had a a bust of Chewbacca that like I guess his mom had gotten him, and there were only like a hundred of these busts of Chewbacca made with like real hair, and he had like m- turned all the hair into Liberty spikes. Oh my god, I love it so much. Like, what? He's like, I don't fucking care. He's like, why do he's like, why do I have this? He's like, because <laughs> I love Star Wars so much. Sure. 
was uh, was verbal Kent was that the first video that um that Link eighty shot? I believe it was the only video. Or it was only, the only video yeah, we ever shot with me. I don't know. I, I mean, you guys never did videos, did you? No, I tried a couple times to get the band to do videos and got shot down. Yeah, because I remember Mike set that up and he had like some friend from high school that was like a film guy. And like it seemed like such a big deal to me that like they had had an actual video being shot that was going to be filmed like a, by a real, you know, Hollywood guy or something like that. And it was like, wow, how amazing. Is that, is that true? Mike set it up? I don't even remember that. Like, I, 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 just, I always thought Nick set it up. I know that the maybe Nick set it up, but I know that the director was a friend of Mike's. Like they went to high school together, oh, okay. and he like had moved to Hollywood and stuff. No shit, so that, I, I I don't remember that. I just remember that they, they, you know, Nick was like, "We're shooting a video at the shows this weekend," and we played like Gilman, and then we played somewhere up north like Ukiah or Arcata, you know. Yeah, we played these two shows, and I remember the Arcata show was dope. A lot of drama after, like that was that was kind of the beginning of what ultimately became the end of things. But at least that part, of that that era of the band. And uh, so, what happened? What was the drama? I mean, you know, you know, drama. It was. I mean, it's funny. It's like we were such a tight tight group, like you know, and. It, like in a way that it's hard to describe. And when that goes wrong, it goes really wrong. And there was just a lot of, I think Nick was going through a lot of stuff that we, we were just in hindsight, ill-equipped to deal with. Like, I don't, I don't think any of us really knew the struggles Nick had. And we, we, we kind of knew him, but like not the way I think as an adult, I look back and go like, you know, I mean, of course, everybody who loses someone wonders what they could have done, but it is something that I really wonder, like, what could have been done, because he was definitely crying out for help. I mean, and there was a lot of, you know, a lot of shit went down. And I guess this isn't private. I mean, Danielle wrote a book about it. Like, it's, you know, he went, he was, you know, he had all of his, you know, he had, he was bipolar and he had drug issues and it was, and and we didn't know really how to handle it and we didn't know we just didn't know what to do and i don't think i, I don't think i didn't feel like they were very forthcoming with any of that stuff either though i mean the guys that were driving around the band were you know said, and did you guys know that at the time i didn't know we, that we found that out later and i mean we found it out while we found it out you know while we were still a band and or while nick was still alive and and hold on sorry i got to charge this other headphone again um we uh we found it out while he was still alive and it was i i'll say it was like our last not it, it was 1997 that shit really kind of started kind of coming to a head with i think what nick was dealing with and struggling with on a daily basis that i think we were sort of aware of but not totally aware of not in the way that i we would be aware of now and again this is the 90s this is mental health was at a different place like people didn't talk about it so we didn't really know and and the last tour that we did it's it, it in hindsight i just i we should have just not gone we should have called off the tour like we were in texas and we almost called it off we almost or you know we almost went home and we didn't because of the whole we had a big kind of love fest and we all decided we love each other so much and it's gonna be the best thing ever and then you know, I don't think 
I, it was, I don't think it was good for Nick. And I mean, it, at the end of the day, shit just sort of came undone, you know? And I mean, I could go on about this for probably the next like two days, but it, the, the short version is it was just, he was really struggling with some shit. And it, and when you have a group of friends that are that close, but don't quite know, and we're all handling it in our own ways and are, we're all kind of handling it with Nick differently. And it just, it just came to a head, you know, and it, it, everything kind of blew up in Milwaukee and, you know, Adam, I'm sure you've heard it a million times, but it's like, we all kind of went home different ways. And at the end of the day, I think it was just, it just, he, he, he was, the band was not right for Nick at that time because of what he was going through. That's my, that's my perspective now, by the way, it wasn't necessarily my perspective a couple of years ago and it might, might not be my perspective in a couple of years, but like, I don't know. I always wonder what would have happened if we just called it and went home in Texas and we didn't. Yeah. Yeah. I, it's weird now because I mean, the, there's video, the last show with Nick is online now. I, like you know, I, is, is I, up. I, it's, uh, I know. And it's, it's, uh, a friend just sent it to me. Well, he sent it to me if, like maybe a year ago, but I never checked Facebook, like never, ever, ever. And then I just did randomly, like maybe a month or two ago, and I saw an email or, you know, whatever, a message from him. And I was like, oh, what's this? He's like, you might like this video. And it was a link video. And I was like, oh, interesting. Cool. And it was that set, which I had never seen. There are no pictures from that night. There's, there's a, there's like a, a book's worth of drama that night. I mean, the shit that went down was crazy. And, and I, I started to think I kind of, you know, you started to wonder like what it really was and how much you made up. And then I watched that set and I was like, oh yeah, that's exactly what I remember for the show. Which the funny thing about that show is I remember it being the most fun we had had as a band playing probably that entire tour. Like we finally hit a thing. We were like, oh fuck this is what we love. Like we are having so we played like Adam, you, you watched it. It's like, yeah. we played like, you guys played for so fucking long. You just, we you played for like an hour out of your ass. It's Ben Maybe. Pearlstein's birthday. Who, exactly. who with Milwaukee. So Nick brings Ben up on stage. Ben's like a big deal. Now he like was booking riot fest for a while. No shit. And he was like this little punk kid at the time. Uh, he was the, he was the replacements manager for a while. He might still be their manager. No way. Yeah, it was he, his twenty first birthday. That's who you guys stayed with and, and, and we used to stay with him too. Um and I feel like it was always kind of a, a party at his house. Well that was the big thing too, is that we had, had so much we'd had so much drama. There was so I mean, so I you know, again, so much stuff that went down between us leaving for tour and getting to Milwaukee. And then that was I like that show was like fuck, oh right. These are my best friends. We were having so much fun. Nick was having such a fucking great time. We all were. And that led to this kind of thing of like, well, Ben's 21st birthday and we're staying there, you know? And it's like, this is going to be danger. This is like everything that you shouldn't do with someone who's dealing with what Nick's dealing with. You should not go to this party. Like, don't go to this fucking party. And, you know, it's, again, we're teenagers. We don't know what we're doing. We're having fun. And all that matters is each other to us. And at the end of the day, when like one of your best friends is like, I want to do a thing. You're like, don't, 
a couple times and then, you know, you can't keep saying no. And it's, it's, I mean, it'd be an interesting thing to get all of us that were there that night and kind of, I, I'd love to know how everybody remembers it. Cause I've talked to Joe and Aaron about it at length, you know, you really but like talk to everybody about it though. <laughs> I mean, <laughs> you know, you know what I don't know is I, I have, I remember with like Jason Lechner, you know, saxophone. I remember like his perspective. I don't, I don't remember Adam Pereira. I don't remember what Adam was doing or where he was. Yeah, I have no idea what Adam was doing. Like, I know, I know Joey's perspective. I know Jason's perspective. I know your perspective. I know Nagel's perspective. Yeah. Who's been like on that? But the, well, the one, the other thing I was just, I, I just remembered though about all this, everything that Nick was dealing with, like mentally and like with, like you know, um, his, you know drug abuse problems he also had hurt his back at the beginning of the tour i remember right before yeah. you when i dropped off he seth the tour, he had just come back from the chiropractor yeah and he was like they were like i think like joey was like so what did he say and he's like nick was like oh he said you know you'll be fine as long as you don't like jump around and twist around up on you know right <laughs> which come on it's nick he's like, like- like well, that he's like so that's not going to work. So he's dealing with a bad back, and then self medicating. You and you and Aaron were fucking around, and Aaron punched your knee and gave himself a boxer break. So he broke his hand. Aaron broke then his hand punching me. Something like a day later, and broke his foot. Yeah, Nick broke had, his foot. He had like a walking cast on his foot. Yeah, I'm sure he felt like shit. His back was fucked up. His foot was fucked up. And yeah, like, and, he, and it was his homie's twenty first birthday, and he just wants to like hang out with his friends. And we had kind of got through the bullshit by that point, and like it was, yeah, exactly. It's exactly that he wanted to hang out with his friends, and you know, we wanted to hang out with our friends. And it's you know, there's I'm sure in hindsight, you know, mistakes were made, and I don't I don't blame anybody for anything, uh, but because there's really no one to blame. I mean, it's not like a blame thing. It's just like a, it's just a shitty situation. It's just a shitty situation, you know? And it's like, and he had had, he had brought his girlfriend along on that tour. And there was all this shit where she was like, and again, I don't blame her for anything. Cause again, I don't think anybody knew what was going on. And there was, but it turned out that she was kind of enabling some of this stuff, like where he couldn't go do things. And then she'd like hook up drugs for him. And it was just a fucking mess. And, you know, didn't you guys make a contract to that tour? Wasn't there yeah, a thing God. with a contract? Fuck, that sounds familiar. Yeah, like we had to sign a thing that like we wouldn't. But again, you're asking a bunch of fucking kids going on tour to like right. not do shit. Like, yeah, like, right. You have to wipe your ass with those contracts because you can't you can't make a kid sign a contract like that. No, it was it was bananas, and it was like it was. There were a lot of band-aids put on like a, a massive wound that was not being treated, you know, and it's, it, 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 and again, I, 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 I don't think among us, I can only speak for like the band. I don't think any of us understood the extent to which Nick was struggling with his, his, his mental health. And the drugs. I mean, we kind of got the drugs because we were around that shit a lot. And it's like, I never did drugs. I fucking hated it, you know? Like, but, but I also, but I wasn't like, you know, some of the other guys who couldn't be around it. I was like, whatever. I still want to hang. I don't care what you're doing. I'm not going to do it. But, 
I'm not going to judge you either. And, you know, I, I feel bad about that in hindsight, but I don't know. I don't, I honestly don't know if I'd have done anything different because I was not going to go. I didn't, I didn't know how life and death it was. You know, I don't think you know until you, until it's too late. You know, because because I, I I grew up on like dare and shit like that. We're kind of like because <laughs> that shit works. Yeah, right. Exactly. I mean, it's like uh, like I I didn't obviously I didn't know Nick as well as you guys, but I for some reason I I ended up going to his funeral and um with Mike and I just remember and I think this is probably like the mindset that was in your head is like a lot of people that spoke that night were like, you know, he was he was invincible. You know, he seemed invincible, and I and I think that that was probably the, you know, before anything happened, that probably seemed like the case, like, well, nothing, not, you know, he Without bounces back from everything. So he, I mean, he, we'd all visited him in the hospital, different times, different hospitals. Like we'd all, we'd all, we'd all been through this with him on some level before. And he always was fine. You know, he was yeah, that yeah. guy who was always like, this is who gives a shit. This is just, you know, and he would, he would put things on like his, his, it, the, the, you know, the handlers and his mom, and he would put things on them. Like, they're just making me do this bullshit. Where in hindsight, I'm like, especially as a parent now, I'm like, no, they're trying to save your life. They are trying to save your fucking life. And you probably don't even really realize that. Cause again, 17, 18, 19, like, but, but yeah, it, 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 it is, it is. He did, he did feel invincible and he did feel like, I think part of what fed that is he also felt like the most adult person in the room at any time. Like, oh, for sure. Yeah. I mean, he was like a couple of years younger than me and I, I didn't feel like he was younger than me, you know? Oh, totally. I'm, I'm fucking 43 now and I, and I feel like he's still older than me. I, dude, I'm, I think about that all the time. I talked to Joe and Aaron about this a lot where I'm like, I still, and I think they both do too, like still think sometimes like, well, what would Nick do in this situation? How would Nick handle this situation? <laughs> like, cause he, he just, he was so advanced compared to the rest of us. He was just, he was like living on another fucking level. And it's, it's, you know, it's, it's weird because it also checks all the cliche boxes. But for those of us who like knew him and loved him, it's, it, it's not, it's not hyperbole. It's not bullshit. It's like, it's true. I mean, I have other friends who died that I don't say that about who I miss and who I loved. But like Nick was like a very one of a kind dude. Yeah. In defense of Ska will return in a moment. Hey, everybody. It's Barry from the What Podcast. Hey, it's Russ. Hey, it's Brian. And we are giving away two tickets to Bonnaroo 2024. These are GA plus and they include camping. Russ. How do people get qualified? We want to hear your top artists to play on the Bonnaroo 2024 lineup. Call 423-667-7877 and tell us who we should check out. It's the What Podcast. Thanks. Um, after you got home from that, tour, that last tour, did you, did you talk to Nick at all? I did. I, I, so we got home, you know, and that was like, you know, August or something. And then, cause he died September 23rd. Yeah. September 20, September 20th. And, uh, so we got home. Like the last show was, I think August 1st, we got home, you know, three days or something. We drove straight home. It was 
fucking awful. And well, those of us that drove home, Joe and Aaron got kicked out. No, Joe and Joe, Joe and, and Adam. Uh, and Joe didn't get kicked out. Adam got kicked out. And Joe, being the nice dude that he is, was like, I'm yeah. not going to make fucking Adam go home, find his way home by himself. He's going to get killed. I'm going to go yeah. with him. So we gave them all the band money we had to get tickets for Amtrak because Adam was not welcome in the van because of what the fuck ever. This gets back to the whole whatever. That's a whole other fucking story. That was Paul, who was the driver, who I, I had. A, this is a quick little tangent, but like I hated Paul after all this went down, like hated. Because I oh, blamed with him good for reason. So much He's a negligent adult. To well, yeah, and it really, I, I really out of a van on the other side of the country. I don't. I mean, Adam. I know how much of a dick that dude can be, but there's no reason to kick out a child. I love Adam, but uh, but uh, but I. So I recently, you know, within the last few years, I ran into Paul, and I had not seen him since. I think the last time I saw him was uh, Nick's funeral, and and that was not good obviously. And, and I've always sort of held a grudge against him in a, a maybe irrational grudge. And because again, I, I can't get mad at anybody. I think everybody was trying to do their best and nobody really understood the situation fully. And I, you know, I'm not, but I did hold a grudge and I ran into him in San Francisco in the city, maybe five years ago. And I was with Joe and, and Zara, Nick's little sister and had not seen Paul since then. And I remember seeing him for the first time and we like shared a moment, just, just looked at each other and gave each other like the biggest, tightest fucking hug and just like held each other for, you know, what felt like a long time. It's probably 15 seconds. But, and in that moment I was just like, Oh man, fuck. Like we were all just kind of wrapped up in a thing that was sort of beyond us and everybody maybe made mistakes, maybe didn't, but like, we all kind of have regrets and you know what I mean? It was like, it was a real, it was really cathartic to see him and, and spend a little time talking to him. And we didn't even talk about any of that shit because we just didn't, but it, it kind of cleared the air. And I felt a weight lift after that, that I don't think I realized I was carrying for, you know, decades. And, uh, but yeah, to answer your question, I, I got home, we got home, you know, the rest of us were trying to figure out what the fuck we we're going to do. Like if we're going to like, I think kind of we sort of thought we'd figure it out with Nick, you know? And so Nick and I had plans. We didn't talk for a couple weeks. And then he called me like a fucking asshole because he was starting knowledge. And he was like, hey, remember, remember I got you that, uh, he got me like a, like a distortion pedal or something that I never even fucking used. And he was like, hey, I need that distortion pedal back. And I was like, cool, whatever. Fucking get it anytime. I'll give a fuck. And then he never picked it up and then called me like a day or two later and was super fucking nice. And this was always the thing about Nick is that he was like the nicest guy or he could just be like fucking evil. But he would, he, you know, he was like, he, he was, he was a, apologize on the right, right word, but we had a like, fuck it like we're bros like this is stupid like why are we fighting about this dumb shit let's go hang out let's go up to telegraph and kick it so we made plans to go kick it in a that weekend or whatever and he's like i'm starting this new band with some of these guys you know we knew all the guys in knowledge and they were great dudes and he was like i'm starting this new band and like let's go hang out on telegraph or whatever and then we planned on it 
And then he bailed on me for whoever he was starting to date. He was starting to date someone new at that time. And he bailed on me for it. So then the next weekend we were going to go do it or the next week or whatever. And then I kind of out of spite, my memory at least is that I was kind of out of spite slash a girl that I liked was like, Hey, do you want to hang out at the same time? And I was like, yeah, fuck it. Like he ditched me. I'm gonna ditch him. But thinking that we, you know, you have the rest of your lives. I'm not thinking like, this is the last time I'm gonna see this dude. So I was like, whatever, we'll do it a day later. Who gives a fuck? I'm going to go hang out with this girl that I like. And uh, so I, you know, I, I said, no, I, or I bailed on him, whatever. And then thank fucking God, like a week or two later, knowledge played a uh, bomb shelter. Do you remember that place down by the Coliseum in Oakland? Yep. Knowledge played bomb shelter. And Nick and I had made up and agreed that we were going to hang out again. And it was like, everything was good. And so I went to see them play. And then after the set, I remember sitting with him like on a couch or something and we had a cigarette and we had a really nice fucking talk and we hung out and I still can picture him when I walked out and I was like, all right, man, a great show. Like you guys are fucking dope. I'll see you later. Like let's hang, whatever, blah, blah, blah. Feeling really good about it. I mean like, cool. Like that's done. Like we're not enemies. Like we're friends again. And then he died like two days later or whatever it was. Or like the next fucking day. It was like he literally, I, he might, it might have even been that night that he died. I don't remember. Yep. It was the next day. Yeah. Damn. And then he died the next yeah. day. No, because he went home after that show. He went home after that show, called Mike Park, called a couple other people, like left messages. Yeah. And then they found it right. the next morning. Fuck. Yeah. So it was right. that night. So I, you know, I, yeah. So I got to have, or I, and I still remember like just sitting there with him on the couch and, and he was the, he gave me my first cigarette. I don't smoke anyway. I fucking, I never really smoked, but like I smoke with Nick a lot. And like, <laughs> you know, we had a really nice time. And, and, and then he died the next day and I was with the band. We were all together. We were over at, you know, what's that place you guys practiced there forever after I left? Soundwave. Soundwave. And we were all at Soundwave. And we got a, Aaron got a page from Julie, who he was living with. And we were like, why the fuck is Julie paging us? And, and I just remember Aaron when I called her back from that payphone in the lobby and, you know, found out and it was like, fuck. Yeah. That nice. was, that was a heavy call to get. I, uh, I was over at a girlfriend's house and I can't remember. I think somebody, maybe Seth page me, maybe he'd gotten hit up or somebody, or maybe it might, it might've been Aaron actually. Somebody paged me and, and talked to me and then I called Nick's house and somebody picked up, I don't know who, and they confirmed it. And, uh, and then I remember like when they had him laid out, I drove all the way up to San Francisco and I made it to like the door of where is, where he was laid out. This was like just the viewing, not the, um, yeah. funeral. I made it to the I didn't door. Go to that. It was, I wish I hadn't. Um, I couldn't, I couldn't handle it. I was like, I can't. Yeah, I, I made it to the door and his mom was standing there greeting people. And I think, I think she was wearing his jacket. Oh. And I didn't go in. I, I turned right back around, went back to my car. Yeah. It was, that was way, way too heavy. I'd, I'd talked to him after you guys had gotten back. And I just was like, you good? And he was like, yeah, I'm going to start a new band. You should come up and try out for it, blah, blah, blah. <laughs> try out. That sounds cool. And then by the time I'd even heard, like, oh, knowledge was already a thing. 
they already recorded an album. <laughs> yeah, they'd already recorded a whole thing, and I was like, oh, okay, I guess. And then, you know, and then all all that went down. Yeah, he didn't waste any fucking time. I will say this: I always remember that. So when Nick, when Nick first joined the band, like he he came over my or he was dropping me off maybe one time after Joe. That's what it was. We were driving home from Joe's, and again, like I, you know, like I was saying, like everybody had a different relationship with Joe. I mean, with Nick, it's like we all and like I, I think I filled the void of like let's talk about super emotional stuff and be like I was kind of like, you know, I was always like love Lorne and like you know into the cure and the smiths and like you know that kind of shit you know what i mean and so he was i just always remember him driving me home one night or you know uh somebody driving us home in that volvo and he's like you want to hear my band before i met you guys and it was this band um shanker that he did with max levitt who you know that the, the the saddest thing is how many of these people have died awful you know, suicide or Sammy, you know, uh, since then. But, you know, he had this band with Max who also committed suicide not that long ago, maybe, well, maybe a decade ago now, but like, and we're listening to it. It's really good. I remember they did a Beastie Boys cover that I wish I had fucking had a copy of, but they did Looking Down Barrel of a Gun. But then he gets, we get to the last song on the album or on the, the demo. And it was this song ended up being, it, Nat, they put it on the Knowledge album. Yeah. But so he plays it for me, you know, and it's just yeah. Max and Nick playing. Uh, it's just bass and vocals and Nick sounds fucking incredible on it. And it's like, it's so moving. And it, and he played it for me being like, don't tell the other guys. Like, I don't want anyone <laughs> to know that I have this soft side. Like, because they'd be fucking dicks about it. No one can fucking know that this song exists. So we get, and I'm like, this is great. What are you talking about? I fucking love this. And we get up to my parents' house and the tape pops out. Cause remember how tapes used to like pop out yeah. and I, I grabbed it and took it. I was like, I'm making a copy. And Nick chased me around my parents' block for like 15 minutes trying to get this <laughs> fucking tape back. And he finally tackled me in our fucking hedges and took the tape back. And I never got a copy of it. And Nick was like, no one can fucking know about this. Fast forward to his funeral <laughs> And they play it at the fucking funeral. And then it comes out on the Knowledge CD, which I thought was, like, hilarious. And also something I think Nick would have actually loved, because I think he kind of wanted everyone to know about it and know what how he acted. Like, you know what I mean? Oh, for sure. He just didn't want Joey and Adam to make fun of it. He didn't want Joey and Adam to make fun of it at the end of the day. You're probably right. Yeah. I mean, that's real right there. Hey, so, yeah, this has been this has been a wonderful interview. Appreciate uh Appreciate you, Matt, for coming on and, and chatting with us. No, thank you. I mean, this has been wonderful. I, I, like Adam said, I could do this all night. <laughs> I really Can I ask that one thing before we go? I know Please. we run short on time, but um, you just you just finished the Scream movie, right? I did. Well, I haven't finished it yet, but we shot it. <laughs> okay, well, you shot it, and I, I was bugging you to put some ska Easter eggs in there. Yeah, yeah. I'll tell you this. I'll tell you this. There is, there, there is definitely a, there is a Link eighty Easter egg for nice. the, for the, for you know. I'm honestly, I was like, I was like, oh, the dudes in the band will find this fun. Uh, and and then I also I called up Mike because because I've used Mike's, I've used Asian Man music in basically everything we've done, 
like and he's really hooked us up like when we've made super low budget stuff we have no money for like we we have mu and trio and you know bands that i love music oh, costs a shit in a movie you did make the you made the trio video didn't you i did do a trio video <laughs> <laughs> just brush your teeth I, yeah it was I, we didn't know what we were doing it was like sure okay. we have a camera we'll go hang out and shoot some shit for a day uh but yeah, but but so I, I called Mike too for a Scream and was like, hey, can, can I get a bunch of stickers? Because we have a couple scenes where we need stickers, you know, just like band stuff. So he sent me a bunch of stickers. So there's, there's a lot of Asian man stickers in a, a scene or two. Hell yeah. Thank you so much for listening to In Defense of Scum. If you haven't already, subscribe to my Substack at aaroncarnes.substack.com. And if you'd like to pre-order my book In Defense of Scott, go to crashbooks.com. It releases on May 4th, 2021. On that note, we leave you by saying, Ska, now more than ever. Thank you. If you're a woman over 40 dealing with hot flashes, insomnia, brain fog, moodiness, or weight gain, you don't have to accept it as just another part of aging. The experts at Midi Health know all these symptoms can be connected to the hormonal changes of menopause. And Midi can help with safe, effective, FDA-approved solutions covered by insurance. 91% of Midi patients get relief from symptoms within just two months. Book your virtual visit today at joinmidi.com. Everybody in your crew identifies as either Big Mac Burger, McNuggets, or McCrispy Sandwich. But you're the filet fish Sandwich all day. That crispy fish, that savory tartar sauce, that melty cheese, that pillowy bun. Yeah, you get it. Every time. And if you love the filet of fish right now you can catch two of the classics you love for just $6. Limited time only. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Single item at regular price. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba.